Hello, and welcome to episode 223 of Relics of Ore. I'm your host, Grybok, and joining me this evening are my wonderful co-hosts, Spirit and Shongaku. How are you doing this evening, Spirit? Uh, I've been so ready to record this podcast that I turned up 24 hours before I was supposed to. Uh, so instead of recording this podcast, the really nice ladies at Host of Ascalon uh, allowed me to not embarrass myself by by graciously letting me guest host their show that they recorded yesterday at the same time. So uh, I, I made a surprise appearance on Hosts of Ascalon. If you want to check that out at twitch.tv slash Hosts of Ascalon or at Hosts of Ascalon on Twitter or Hosts of Ascalon the podcast on everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, I was over there. They're great people anyway, and you should definitely check them out anyway. But yeah, I was there, and it was great, and I was excited, and I'm so glad that they just let me not embarrass myself. Happy little accidents. Yes. Yes. Coordinating with time zones across uh, multiple days across the dateline is always a confusing mess. And how are you doing this evening, Shongaku? Hello. Uh, it's been a busy day. Uh, I logged on to Guild Wars, and I was like, I'm going to do some stuff in Draconis Mons, and all of a sudden I got a little purple pink colored thing in my corner and i was like oh maybe someone wants to do something oh oh the word podcast oh that's right so uh i am the opposite of spirit i completely blanked it but uh i am glad to be here we balance out the podcast i am over prepared you're under prepared we together we were like one half prepared person let's do it yeah it's time to go uh <laughs> boy Let's go. Anyway, so last week we discussed the story beats of the latest Living Story episode, and this week we are going to be talking about the map and all things related to the map, including meta events, map design, uh, yada yada, new mastery, um, those types of things, and any other things about Living Story we will probably talk about in the future. Who wants to start off? Anybody have any initial immediate strong things they want to say i want to talk about the dredge hit it comrade okay uh i just love the dredge in this map i feel like i i don't know exactly what changed other than it feels like the dredge in this map have so much more personality than all of the other ones while retaining retaining all the traits of the dredge that we've come to know and love like the uh communism i guess for lack of a better word but yeah, they still have a, a strong sense of uh, being united and for the worker and everything. But they're coming to grips with the, you know, the the tragedy of losing all the people that they, uh, you know, were a part of that. And it's, I just found it so much in more interesting to talk to Dredge here than anywhere else. There was a couple of really good ones. Um, there was the one at the adventure down in the south. And if you hang out by him, he's sniping all of his former friends. And he'll have lines like, uh, uh, sorry, Molochov, I, I never liked you anyway. Or like, he stole my soup last Christmas or whatever. He's just, he's just got a little bit to say about everyone, um, which I thought was really, really cool. And it was just a very nice, uh, impactful, emotional NPC that didn't, need that much around it to be that good like it was just very elegant the way it was all set up um and there was another one i think just a random kind of unnamed dredge that i found when i was looking for a hydra to rodeo um who was you know talking about the situation in the area and that 
he he was going to be all right. He felt like he was going to be okay, but he was worried about his friends and it's just everything. Basically, he said the dredge equivalent of the meta is changing at an alarming rate, but you know, for like serious times, which I appreciated. Yeah, that was interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's interesting thinking about the dredge and we oftentimes they are just a antagonistic force in the core Guild Wars game and in, when we encounter them. Mm. There's only a few places where you're actually working with them. I think uh, I, off the top of my head, uh, North Polar Bear People Place. Codan. Wow. You know what? I could just zoom out on the map because I'm logged into Guild Wars right now and go and look at Frostgorge Sound. So you've got that one heart where you're working with like some rebels that are uh in the groznov delves uh which as a general rule you think of the dredge as being fairly i mean antagonistic and xenophobic towards outsiders and it is interesting to see a situation where they sort of have to put that they've been backed up into such a wall against the wall so hard that they actually have to like interact with you and so you actually get to see their natural personality through the what would generally be blocked by xenophobia and distrust of outsiders mm. so it's an interesting so it's a it's a cool situation to have put them in so that we can actually get more context on them whereas otherwise you know you're an outsider looking in uh, and in this case they're just so desperate that you and you have such a common foe that you become on some level the insider that they need even though they don't necessarily normally want to deal with you that way. So it is an interesting. It's interesting to be able to get the the dredge in that context rather than simply a we don't like you because we don't trust you. It's what we generally get in Guild Wars 2 from the dredge. That is a much more eloquent take on it than I had. Thank you for that. I really like that expression. I think it also kind of highlights sort of a strangeness within the world of Guild Wars 2 that the technology, and I mean, I know we've talked about this before, especially with the contrast between Asura and the Char, but it really sort of highlights a little bit of the weird sort of anachronistic clash of technologies we have where like mm. you're, you're needing the help of this sort of underground but very utilitarian looking like mining crew when you know we have all these weird futuristic technologies but even anyway it just it sort of stands out to me as as sort of a, a strange point in the guild wars world uh, that's that's always been there though since um since guild wars 2 launched but uh, it just sort of brought it back into the forefront again of of like hey you know ultimately in the story they show up with their tanks and it's the big saving day right and it's like well yeah mm -hmm. okay uh, anyway but uh that's not really it just it I, I was just thinking about it once we were really bringing it up but it's we, we already have some experience with that but it's nice to have uh like you said it's it's nice to see them from the other side of the um divide i guess well and i think that it's not it it seems anachronistic that you have like the tech and stuff but you have to understand that you know with just the way geopolitics works you generally don't always i mean you you can have that vast differentiation like we actually have that in our world where you know you have the technologically developed world and then you have the other parts of the world where they might have access to it but they might not want it because they're distrustful of who's offering it to them uh and so you have wildly divergent paths of technology uh and maybe they'll they'll take some tech like maybe they've used char tech that they've 
either stolen or that has been abandoned and they've figured and they've reverse engineered and that's how they get their tanks and that sort of thing. So you have this sort of uh, very self-governed and self-directed group, which in Guild Wars 2 feels weird because so much of Guild Wars 2 is about uniting the different cultures together. So that's that is an interesting take um, and thing to see. Yeah, and I I also do like it from the perspective of a lot of a lot of the narrative in Guild Wars 2 is about sort of overcoming the differences and and working together for the greater good and I think very few things speak to that more than becoming allies with what was narratively presented as a villain before. And same thing with the Char at the beginning of Guild Wars 2. In Guild Wars 1, the Char are pretty much just straight bad guys until I guess until Eye of the North and Warren Krita started making that deeper, but that's largely probably because Guild Wars 2 was already in development and knew that that's where they go. And so it's cool to see that happening within the same game uh, as as enemies that were, you know, as as a race that were presented as enemies to start with in this game. So, yeah, I, I definitely, the, the dredge, I would say, are the NPCs and the heart event type stuff that stood out the most to me in this map in mm-hmm. a very good way. I will say, as far as other memorable things, as soon as we uh, loaded into this map and I pulled up the map on the the overworld uh, map and I realized that we were standing right on Thunderhead Keep, I had to go and check and see how much of the Guild Wars 1 mission I could find in the world because, my god, have you guys heard of the Great Filter in terms of, like, space exploration? No. I think I know what you're getting at, but I haven't actually heard the term in a real world context. Ah, well, yeah, in in uh, sci-fi or space exploration, the idea of the Great Filter is that um, <clears throat> it's something which inevitably prevents the development of advanced life forms. And, you know, either it hasn't happened yet and it's something that, like, maybe we'll all wipe each other out or it already happened mm-hmm. and we're lucky that we got past it. But, uh my main uh my main point was that thunderhead keep back in the back in the battle days was like the great filter yep. for good <laughs> pve players and good and bad ones and you, you either got through it uh whole and alive or you had some hellish war stories and that's that's where we had the good old monk strike of what was that 2005 i don't know that was before my my gaming time so i don't know eric were you around for that we seem to have lost in Eric temporarily, but that's okay. Uh, yes, the the great monk strike when monks were abused and everybody was uh, getting mad at them. And so they collectively decided to hold a strike in Thunderhead Keep and would not let anybody progress through that mission because it was hard as butts. And uh, at least at the time and even more hard without monks. So anyway, uh, it was actually pretty fun. I yeah. checked it out here and definitely... Like I recognize the corridors of map design where you fought all these mobs and then you get to where was the big final confrontation in the mission in Guild Wars 1. And it is appropriately filled to the brim with all these stupid (laughs) branded and like it is the most full of garbage like I have seen in it's the highest density of of bad guys I've seen in a long time and they're just always there it's not during like a meta event they're just they're just always there which Mm -hmm. i found highly appropriate but also is giving me severe guild wars one ptsd yeah i just wanted to say uh it's hard to make a direct comparison to what 
the monk strike was but on a like on a similar shakeup level it would it would be as if all chronos just decided to stop doing fractals for a day <laughs> and uh it would cause some rumblings i mean then that's not even accurate because it was pretty hard and it was a story quest so it was like just stopping people from continuing their stories because because yeah, there was really no other needed a healer to get through and there was no alternative so yeah it's there's no real direct comparison for guild wars 2 but it was a it was a big event <laughs> yeah it was uh it was a thing it looks like eric's back we're talking about the good old monk strike of 2005 I remember or yep that was yeah. a that was a time i didn't really know i wasn't enough in the community that i like knew that people had organized a thing so i was just like why are these monks not accepting my party invite what's going on this is really weird there's a lot of monks here they just what's going on and uh then years later they were like oh yeah you remember that monk strike i was like oh that would explain why my progress stopped for a week yeah it was uh, it was a very unique and funny time especially because of the way that Gildor's one handled instancing where you know you had different districts of towns that you could freely go between and then like the story missions had instances and so like you had to, you had to it was somewhat there was a lot more word of mouth i guess is what i would say in that game mm -hmm. was a very different experience and the the forums as they were were not nearly as organized or concentrated in one or two places and there was no reddit and yeah it was a it was a different world a decade and a half ago but anyway it was really fun to go back there and and it was very funny to have it have a uh, vista that was surrounded by mobs that you uh, that it would be difficult to get to the vista and activate it solo without getting stomped which was a fun little puzzle in itself the i like the nostalgia and the fact that it was like two or three maps all mixed together uh i think the iron mines of muldoon were in there uh i'm not sure if you guys talked about that already we didn't know we were just talking about thk specifically uh, yeah it, it's definitely a couple of guild wars one maps maybe not entirely uh overlapping but but definitely several areas in there sort of smushed together. Again, quite a large map for Living Story. Like, this is way blowing away my expectations that I would have had for this back when Living Story started mm -hmm. ages ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy map. Uh, they've, got only, they've got four hearts in it. Do you want to talk about the hearts? Anything stand out about you guys with the uh, hearts on the map? The Dredge one was a heart, wasn't it? It wasn't just the story mission? Yes. Yeah, I made a giant fool of myself. That was the one where you could go fishing with the starfish, and I didn't understand the mechanics. So I just ran around the zone for like 10 minutes, hoisting a starfish in the air and going, ah, trying to get fish to come after me. <laughs> I didn't understand that I was supposed to use them by the splashy parts, and so I was just waving a starfish around, trying to get their attention. Well, it didn't help that several of the bait things were on little ice islands that if you caught the fish over there, you couldn't take it back. You'd start swimming yeah. and drop it. Yeah, Unless there's a way to do it that bugged. I didn't know about. I think no. of all the hearts, that one was probably the most unintuitive for me, partially because of the fishing. Just It was weird and kind of buggy when it first launched. I think they've done some fixes to make it work a bit better. Um, but that one was pretty... That one was challenging just from a figuring it out perspective. Uh, I thought the Priory Excavations was fun with all the script running around trying to collect shinies. 
I don't remember that at all. Was there another way to complete that heart? Yeah, it's like down in the, um, there was like a gully or like a valley down there that you could go down into and it had like a completely different area of the heart. It played out very similar to um, Vobby. Like the, yeah, the necropolis and Vobby where you pick up the organs and put them in the correct jar. Mm, I gotcha. If you oh. haven't been down there and you care about achievements, I highly recommend going to find that because you get like, 12 achievement points just for doing the heart by doing that it's really dumb it's a really high value achievement for doing nothing wow. but catching things thrown at you that's awesome i also just remembered that the first heart that you're thrown into by the story is the one with the where one of the options to do it is like rallying the different troops and sort of cheering them on and it had a whole unique mechanic for like your inspiringness for yes. like how big of groups that you could inspire that was actually really fun i was uh, a little sad that that didn't carry over to anything else in the map i thought that could have been kind of a mm. fun like map wide event that you could do but it was still it was still cool to have and and it's rare that we get completely unique mechanics for just like a single heart a one-off heart did you catch any bits of dialogue that tickled your fancy Ooh, I feel like I did, but now it's been a month and I am a little bit forgetful. Uh, I'll, let me consult my notes. Were there any that stood out to you? The one, the one that I liked is if you rallied the group of Char, uh, you say, "Are you are you the Ash Blood and Iron Legions, or are you a book club?" And they're like, "Yeah, we're the Legions." And then as you wander away, one of the Char goes, "What's a book club?" <laughs> that was really quite fun. I do remember that one and chuckling to myself. There were some good lines in that entire sequence. Yeah, I, I quite liked the both both the sort of almost like drill sergeant aspect of it. But also, yeah, some of the dialogue was, was quite funny. I, I do remember that. Now. Unfortunately, I didn't write down notes on on their particular speeches, but it was very well. It was very well written. I think it's worth if the player has not experienced it yet. Just go play through it and just enjoy that heart. That's not one to be rushed through. What'd yeah, you guys and, think about the Zephyrite heart? Uh, I found that one kind of a pain in the butt to do, to be honest. Uh, I don't think I've gone back since the first day. I haven't farmed this zone really hard compared to how I've done some of the other zones. Um, so I've only done the hearts like once or twice for the most part. And I, at the time, was going around playing the songs with the different Zephyrites, but I didn't... Uh, I think because the whole sequence it was just like basically repeat a sequence back to me right but because it took kind of a long time it wasn't that hard i wasn't that excited about it and also the fact that i had to get a new flute every time i practiced with a zephyr because my flute broke that was not fun i mean you technically were getting a harmonizing crystal so then that thing was uncharged yeah, but then i shoved it up those. my butt and pulled out a flute or something because there was definitely my character holding a flute i don't know where the crystal went I think you were tuning the crystals for the Zephyrite choir that then in your last mission is those were the crystals that you're using. I mean, obviously the easy way to finish that that I did during that one. (laughs) The easy way to finish that heart is just go kill a bunch of branded nearby or beat up the Corsairs and the packed soldiers who are not having a good time being put in a tight, close area together. Yeah, that's definitely what I did. I enjoyed the fact that you had three very different groups all interacting within the heart in ways that I thought Mm -hmm. was interesting. And I think they did a really good job with that heart just from a, I think all of these hearts put you in places where there was a lot of very interesting narrative flavor going on. 
and I I enjoyed the environment around the hearts, perhaps necess- perhaps slightly more than completing the hearts, but actually going to those areas didn't feel like a chore when I when I was map completing. Yeah, the explorational flow of the map felt pretty good. Like I liked uh, just the kind of natural flow of it, and as well the um like the use of verticality and how much that zone felt mountainous and how little it was tedious compared to how much it could have been. Uh, like thinking back in Verdant Brink, how people used to not like the verticality a lot, but now you look at a cliff and you go, I can I can spring her up that. That's might be not the fastest way, but I can definitely make it up there if I want to go there. And so now that we have a lot of ways to point at a thing and say, I want to go there, I'm going to get there. And we have so many tools at our disposal to make that a reality. Um, it was really cool to see a, a, a highly mountainous zone. Um, I definitely ran my Springer's and my Griffin's face up against invisible walls a lot when I was first going through the zone. In fact, I still do. I'm just like, I want to go there <laughs> as I slowly run into the glass wall that is uh, the invisible blockage. Have you done Have you done a lot of exploring in the brand or sort of around the edges of the map? Uh, the brand, I need to hop on my, uh, on my skimmer to run through it. Uh, but there's a, the brand looks really cool and I've griffoned through it and there's lots of little, like just interesting, uh, terrain features and there's some cool caves, although those are mostly up out of the brand. Have you noticed any, uh, caves in the brand? I haven't found any caves in the brand, but there's a lot of like little farming spots on that map which really surprised me. There's a lot of, um, there's a platinum node farm, there's an iron node farm, there's a seaweed farm, and there's a clam farm down in the southwest, south, one of the souths. The the seaweed and the clams are down in the water. I can't remember which side which one is on, but the iron and the platinum are in areas of the brand that are sort of up out of the way on cliffs. Yeah, which those were... Those were pretty good. I was super excited about those farms until I chatted with Rabin. He was like, well, okay, that gives you like maybe 20 20 iron per character. Then he gave me a farm that's like Brisbane to Gandharan Fields to Harathi Hinterlands back to Gandharan Fields. Or Brisbane, Kessex, Gandharan, Harathi, Gandharan. It's like a stack of iron. And you're like, oh, and and it's real fast. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, well, okay, that that might be a better option. But it was cool to see that added as sort of like a nice thing. If like, hey, if you're in this map running stuff, you know, between metas, go grab some iron and plat. I I like the idea of having all different levels of crafting materials in maps. I would almost like to see them sort of revamp gathering so that you can find almost everything everywhere and just have it more thematically placed but uh mm-hmm. although that would mess with the farms so yeah because the thing is that nowadays there really almost isn't such a thing as quote low tier farming mats because they intentionally required a buttload of them for ascended crafting and so even though they're quote unquote low tier you need uh like so many of them for the highest tier so it's like they're almost high tier crafting mats now which is weird yeah but in fact, uh, one of the most popular ways to make money for a long time has been to save up bags and open them on low level characters because then the gear scales down to the character you open them on. So there's there's whole sites and spreadsheets and stuff dedicated to what level should I open my bags at? And people have character slots that they just leave unleveled so that they can make more money off opening those mid tier mats. Yeah, which is 
on the one hand, very clever, but also on the other hand, kind of is exactly the type of unintended consequence that you want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to complain about Ascend it again for another episode. Uh, yeah. yeah, sure. So we'll just really leave it there. what we need is a mastery that will let us uh, gather leather and gather uh, and gather cloth. Just some sort of mastery system that functions like gathering professions, but it's just a mastery point that you unlock. And it's like, hey, if you kill this thing, you get if you kill grubs, you get gossamer or you get silk. If you kill, you know, X, Y, Z, you get this sort of thing back, which would be nice. Yeah, but anyway, yes, it was nice to see the introduction of of some, quote, low-tier crafting mats, especially metals, because they make so much more sense specifically to be mm-hmm. everywhere, right? It's always been kind of silly that, like, metal or the iron was only available in, in low-ish maps because that was the level range that you would be at for those crafting materials, but, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, a mountain's a mountain's a mountain, guys, uh... So yeah, it's it's cool to see those introduced in these new maps and and getting a little bit more exposure to them, even if it's not the most efficient way of getting it. It's it's a it's a good step. Speaking of uh, slightly inefficient or difficult things, uh, did you guys have either of you completed the meta for the map yet? Yes, half. I am half uh, prepared. I literally have not completed either meta. The thing that we'll talk about later i just bought off the trading post because i was like i want to do this other thing so expensive but worth it uh so what what was which meta did you do Greybuck? i did the one up by thk <laughs> which uh is right that's that's one of the metas right it did it drop a uh a treasure a half of half? a thing a half plate yes then yes it's one of the two metas Okay, yeah. So I actually spawned in. Actually, I think it was I was playing right before our show two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and I spawned in right as the event was ongoing. So I only saw part of it, but I did enough of it to get credit um, where you're going around and fighting some big branded champion dudes on the sides of THK and then you meet in the middle and fight. I think it was a was it a dragon? Not like a giant dragon, but like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There, some, uh, some, some branded critter. I figure Spirit can answer. The it was a bristleback type. Oh deal. right, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I remember it was like a big quadruped uh, branded critter. Anyway, uh, yeah, I was amazed at how quickly it lagged out my fairly beefy computer between all of the. Yeah, that North meta is so brutal. Yeah, like it was it was starting to get into slideshow territory and, you know, it's because there was a lot of players, but man, those branded effects, uh, all the lightning and all of the everything Mm -hmm. was really tanking my computer. And as soon as the meta event ended, it couldn't have been 10 seconds before people started warping out. And and then suddenly I went back to, you know, 60, 70 FPS or whatever. I was like, (laughs) like, boy, Uh, so that was a, a little sad that when that kind of slow down to a crawl happens but it was fine but it but i haven't done the other one yet so i haven't done the thing that eric bought his way into so we talk about that in a minute what's is there a bigger story to that meta other than just fight tons of branded spirit uh i mean there's there's kind of a little underlying thing going on with uh the npcs there so if you get there a little bit early for it you see uh, Logan and Ritlock and Canock are the people that are sort of heading up that assault, and they're trying to do it on a timer before a brandstorm rolls in. 
so they're they're courting different things with Gorick, which is just an interesting sort of combination of characters. We've got the you know the history of Ritlock and Logan against Kralgatorik, and then like Kanak being Kanak uh, and and Gorick uh, kind of giving you the heads up over the comms. Just an interesting sort of combination of characters that we haven't really seen do things together, and they they have some nice uh, dialogues. Uh, sort of interchanges, uh, exchanges rather. Uh, I, the the one that stands out to me. I know there's I know there's more good lines than this, but the one that stands out to me is when you finish it. Uh, Kanak goes, "Now it's time to victoriously run away." Uh, <laughs> Logan goes, "Shut up and run." Nice. So, yeah, I just appreciated that little sort of underlying thing. Oh yeah, they bring in some resonating crystals as well, pulled by Skrit, and people are like. Oh, Really, you got Skrit to do this? Of all things, you brought Skrit. I do like uh, that they have Logan as a straight man against the more yeah. snarky uh, two characters of Ritlock and Kanak. Yeah. Do you really like Logan in this chapter? I think being packed Marshall has, has done some good things for him. Breaking up with Lissa was the best thing he ever did. Well, an illusion of Lissa, an illusion that Lissa created. I don't have enough tinfoil, Eric. And there's a blizzard here, so I can't go drive to get it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> polar vortex. Uh, yeah, okay. Polar vortexes. How about those dwarven puzzle rooms? Well, so should we talk about the other meta event first? I guess if you want. Yeah, to. I mean, yeah, uh, I'll talk about it super quick. So it's uh, on the south part of the map, and you are escorting Bodica, Rocks, and Bram. Bodica being the uh, sort of representative of the Omicron that we met in. Uh, Sandswept Isles. Uh, she was the the crazy elementalist that we we got out of the inquest facility, and uh, you help them escort a dredge to pick up a bunch of oil, which isn't. Uh, I mean, it's nothing really spectacular or standout, other than you often uh, you oil gets spread all over the place, and it has slippery physics, so you have to like scoop up the oil in a little backpack to clear enough space on the floor to not be a ice rink. It's a little enjoyable mechanic. I haven't actually done it since they rebalanced it. When I first started doing it, um, it was just the the end boss's health didn't scale up right, so he would die in like 10 seconds. But now, apparently, it's a lot different, and so it's changed the whole sort of feel of the encounter now that all the slippery stuff doesn't go away in, in 10 seconds. Uh, and apparently it's a lot harder, but I haven't been back since then. Yeah, it's not a not a terribly interesting one. It's just defending against waves of enemies and then going to kill a boss. But uh, the, again, there's another nice little underlying story where uh, Rox and Brahm and Badaka are sort of all talking to each other. And because you have to split up into three different areas, you leave Brahm behind first and Badaka and Rox have a little conversation about Brahm and uh, heavily implying that Rox is going to be joining the Ulmacon and that she's dreading telling Brahm about it. Um, she hasn't told him yet, but that her her time with our group is probably coming to an end, I think is what it's hinting at. There's no concrete, you know, resolution to that yet. But yeah, I really like those little, um, those little story moments kind of in the open world where it's just playing out more naturally than uh, it would if you're going into an instance, say. I appreciate those characters getting development in ways that they d- wouldn't normally get. Nice. Yeah. It is, I do like the idea of using that for side story moments. I think uh, last week I mentioned the uh, Requiem, I think is what they're calling it, on mm-hmm. the website. 
Uh, I finally read through the Ritlock one. I am super excited to finally know where in the world he got Solhothan from. And I think uh, I think that that actually it was at first I was reading it with my own with my own voice in my head because it's written from such a strong first person perspective. But when I switched actually to reading it with like a Ritlock gravelly thing in my head, the lines made a lot more sense. Initially, when I read it, I was like, wow, this doesn't really fit Ritlock. And I was like, oh, no, I'm reading it as if I was saying these things It's like, no, there's a Ritlock saying it. So now you have to change all the inflection and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, and it I, looks a lot better that way. When I was talking about it with Perrin hashtag yesterday, uh, what I said was that I had a hard time reconciling the Ritlock on the paper with the Ritlock in game. Um, that was like really hard for me to do mentally, but Pear had a really good point. She said, well, that's kind of the point of it because we don't often see Ritlock's introspection. He puts up a shield and, you know, we get the uh, outer tough shell of Ritlock, but not often the one that, uh, you know, his inner monologue, which we get to see for once. So I did like that that view on it. But yeah, I, I, I had a hard time reading it, not because it, it wasn't good or interesting, just because I had a hard time reconciling it with the character. Have you read it yet, Grybok? No, I'm the worst. It's, it's okay. I, we, as a Guild Wars 2 community, forgive you. Now the healing can begin. Speaking of healing, <laughs> Light of Deldramore was a healing skill in Guild Wars 1, and you can use it again on this map. Segway. It's a healing skill? Wasn't it? It did a healing no. AoE around you and also found stuff, wasn't it? It healed your allies, damaged your enemies, and found hidden treasures. I believe you, but I have no recollection of this, so I don't know if I'm supposed to believe you. It's been so long since I've used Light of Deltramore, I could not tell you. Never mind, just deals damage. But it could have healed allies, possibly. Maybe if you had divine healing, it would have healed guys in the air. I don't know, anyways. So it was a monk skill. Uh, that was unique to Eye of the North. It was PvE only. It dealt damage. It was, yeah, I guess it was damage in an area, and then it also indicated where these hidden chests were. And they've taken that, and they added it to a fractal, but now we get to use it again in this map to to as we explore through these different uh, crypts, we get to find hidden treasures. I really enjoyed it. Have you guys done any of the exploration through those uh, crypts? Yeah, I think I've hit all of them now. I've I've done most of the achievements in the zone except for the weapons because I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But um, yeah, I've done it. Have, which does were there any rooms that stood out to you? The first one that you go into, I was like, why am I in Skyrim all of a sudden? Because it's so similar to the to the uh, Draugr tombs, the old the ancient tombs in Skyrim. Uh, I think there was definitely some inspiration. And in fact, looking at it, it's like, oh, they've definitely pulled like some of their dwarven architecture that's been updated and sort of codified in Guild Wars 2 is very sort of like Nordic Skyrim uh, appearance. But I think they also take a lot from Lord of the Rings uh, architecture as well, if you could look at Moria and that sort of thing. it's I thought it was really fun to be able to go through a just authentically dwarven area and sort of get this. I've, I've really liked all the dwarven areas just because it is this weird sort of ruins that you also know because you played through it in Guild Wars 1. And it's it's the weirdest sort of like familiar going back to a place that's familiar, but it's been abandoned. And you're like, oh, I remember what this used to be, but it's but now it's empty and overgrown mm-hmm. and collapsed. And it, it's a weird feeling. It's I like it. I think I think that's something just in general that Guild Wars 2 has done really well in a lot of places. So I just 
I wanted to give a little hats off to them for that. I know that we praise that a lot, but it's I think it can't be overstated how much of a skill that is to be able to evoke that feeling. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And this map, weirdly, for some reason, this map, as I've just as I explored through it, it had even more than the Nightfall maps because I spent so much time in this area of Guild Wars 1. Uh, because, you know, Guild Wars 1 was out for a while, and I didn't spend as much time in each individual map in the, in the succeeding expansions as I spent, like, farming and trying to get to level 20 and exploring, and just, it's weird because I spent so much time in, like, the uh, Iron Mines of Muldoon, in Iceflow, in just this area, that it was weird to walk out that door and go, oh, I'm somewhere I've been before. Like you walk out the door from the underground caves and you see that stuff on the top and it, and then you go into these tombs and they've got that evocative feeling too, but it's even stronger for me because they did such a good job evoking the maps that you played through in Guild Wars one in this, in this particular instance for me specifically. So I think we should probably start working towards wrapping it up so that we can have shorter shows because that's a goal. Uh, so I was one last thing I was thinking about as I was making the adding to the show notes was map currencies. So far, we're five maps in. Have either of you really had a I must get this currency feeling like you did in Guild War in the season three? Because I have not. And I had that. In- That's uh, going to be a big no for me. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, because I do the achievements because I'm I'm still on the achievement hunting train. Um, I need it in a way for whatever achievements they want me to get, but I've not ever felt compelled to collect it just for other stuff that's outside of the achievements. Um, and to be quite honest, I'd prefer not to collect it for the achievements either. Um, it's it's really hard. The, the Heroic Dragon's Blood Weapons are a huge grind, and I honestly haven't been working on them because of the huge grind. Um, I've done stuff in the past, but this map has several limiting factors on how you can get them which i guess is fair enough because they're pretty cheaply crafted um ascended weapons and unique skins and they have uh, a large amount like a hundred something ap attached to them which is pretty good somebody said it was like seven ap per weapon or something which is like a lot of ap Holy um i wonder why serpentine jewels are like impossible to find yeah, so there, there's a lot of stuff attached to it. It's not really stuff I want, and that part of that is just um, you know something we touched on the patch, which is in the past, which is the reward loop for the end game of Guild Wars Two is somewhat hit and miss, and because for a long time um, people have had all the stuff they care about without adding new things it's hard to make us want more of them. Like, who cares about getting another Ascended backpack at this point, really? Um, like, it I might be nice skin. Sometimes stats. you might want it, but uh, it's a pain in the butt. More than, you know, most people have more than they could ever need, I think. Or long-time players who have been very invested in the game have more than they ever need. It's great to have all these options for new players to get stuff, but once you have it, you have it. Yeah, I, I think that's the general difficulty with this business model, right? Because we don't want them to add more power. 
And so it's it's I think that's a standard hazard of a game that's going on seven years old now um, that that doesn't want to sell power with expansions. Um, It's like there's only there's only so much dress up you're going to want to do and uh, doubly so if we're talking about like grinding currencies for it. So Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, but that's okay, You know, for for every one of us that is burned out on that type of thing maybe you know there's there's probably people that it's like this new mini or this new weapon set is just like totally their jam and that's fine you know yeah and there's also plenty of people who just they don't want it to feel compelled to grind everything so the fact that they don't have to is a relief to them. Right. And I am that person in other games. So, you know, despite that, my main game isn't necessarily scratching all the itches that I want it to right now. Um, you know, having been that person, I can definitely appreciate that. You know what? I've, I've finished everything I wanted from the zone. I don't need anything else. I can just be done with it whenever I want to. And that that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think we've covered the map pretty well. Do we want to move on to Cascast to see if uh, you remember how to say it, Spirit? Uh, I, we really threw a wrench in it last time when I said Cats Cast. I don't know if I can do it again. Hold on. You got this. Hello and welcome to Cats Cast, the podcast about casts within the podcast about the cast of other podcasts and the style of cast of other podcasts. I think there were several more casts that, that happened than needed to, but uh, yeah, go go ahead, Eric, with your Cast Cast that uh, was dubiously announced. Yes, I was going to announce that this Friday there will be murder hobos in Dragon Stand. Turns out I can't do dates. It was last Tuesday. It was amazing. There is VOD on the twitch.tv forward slash relics of ore channel if you want to watch us play through it. And uh, hopefully next time there's going to be one of those, it will actually be announced on time. Can you explain what the event was in like two or three sentences? Wait, wait, wait. Before that. Would you say that this is a past cast? <gasps> it's a past cast cast. Yes. <laughs> anyway, yes, explain. No, it's another layer. I don't know if I can handle it. So Murder Hobos is basically you load into a map with a with a entire with everyone hopefully in the map and you've got a meta that you're trying to achieve except there's a twist. You start with no gear on your character. And when I say no gear, I mean no weapons, no trinkets, no armor. All you've got is your utility skills, and that is it. And you and your group have to clear the meta without, uh, with, initially without that gear. But then any gear you find, you can equip and you can trade with these other mur- with other murder hobos. So if you find like a, uh, you know, you find a weapon or armor and stuff, you can slowly equip it. And so you start from like nothing and you work your way up. And so you're usually trying to do relatively hard open world content. Um, with this with this uh, restriction and it's a lot of fun it was created because i loaded into a map once without any gear on a character because i had thrown it onto another character and i was like i don't have time to switch so i'm going with it and i thought it was really fun to do just by myself and with 50 other people it was amazing to run through dragon stand yeah we 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 commandeered a whole lane of dragon stand i wish we had gotten to do all of them but there were just so many people on the map that we gathered up all the murder hobos into one lane and progressed almost as fast as the other lanes to be entirely honest although we had way more people and we were mostly all on uh, voice chat which i think helps coordinating especially the boss kills yeah ah the power of zerg swarming 
I mean, we were really worried when the uh, legendaries started walking down the uh, the lane, and then we just swarmed it down. It. it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Nice. Well, I think that about wraps it up. This is going to be a world record short episode for us, I think. But uh, I think that's okay. We can always drone on about more stuff in the future. And uh, yeah, I it's I think all of our impressions of this map were fairly positive. I think it hasn't it didn't have any things that completely you know, we're draw jaw droppingly captivating, but I don't think we have any major complaints about it either. And that's, you know, as I said, this game's been out for quite a while now, and that's a pretty good accomplishment. So I think we're all pretty, pretty happy with it and pretty happy with the little tidbits we find and the, uh, the return to old places with fresh spins on them and all sorts of things like that. So yeah, uh, thank you for joining me this evening my wonderful co-hosts and thank everybody for listening this has been another episode of relics of war if you want to get in touch with us you can check out our website and forums at relics email us at relics at gmail.com or find us on your favorite social media site just by searching relics of orr if you'd like to join us in game you can send a whisper or in-game mail to spirit face or drop us a note on twitter or our website and say hi Lastly, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment and the rating you feel we deserve.